Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. And today we are talking about demystifying self-care. What is self-care? People talk about it all the time as if it's something that we're all just supposed to know how to do. Right. And yet nobody really ever teaches us, at least in my life. No one taught me how to truly take care of myself. Right. Uh, So it becomes this kind of guilt-ridden thing that we know we're supposed to do, but we don't really know how. And if we feel like we're supposed to know how, we don't often ask people how to do it. Right. And And then we feel guilty when we get it wrong. Then we feel guilty and then we need more self-care, which we don't know how to provide ourselves. (laughs) It's kind of a vicious circle of sorts. I was actually on uh, the Duke Divinity School campus last month talking with some of the women there about their practices of self-care, particularly during Divinity School. And one of the things that I said uh, at the beginning of my talk was, I am not an expert on this. I am someone who struggles with self-care, but that talking about it in community Mm -hmm. is something that helps us find what self-care means for us individually and as a community. Mm-hmm. And before that talk, one of the things that I did was I went on Facebook to my network and I said, what is the most ridiculous self-care practice that has ever been advertised to you or uh, someone's encouraged you to do? And the responses were really tragic and funny at the same time. One yeah. woman talked about... I remember one, that yeah, thread. It this. was great. <laughs> you know, yep. one woman talked about being required to go to self-care seminars but then having to make up the work that she missed during the time that she was at the self-care webinars or that seminars. That is crazy. Without, what without is paid time off. A self-care seminar. Like, <laughs> just the idea of it sounds terrible in concept. Like, at some point, somebody should have thought, we're planning a forced gathering to talk to people about how to take time for themselves. Like, it's just so wrong. I know. It makes you wonder about the self-care practices of the people who are facilitating this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> One of the things that I loved about that um, that thread that you started on Facebook was um, the really thoughtful critique that people had. Um, you had a lot of, of people replying and saying that um, self-care often equals spending money or um, consuming goods and services, and that it's just another way for people to market to women um, to get us to spend money on manicures and splurge on that thing that you've been wanting, take care of yourself, go shopping, and how um, that's really sort of corrupted the idea of what taking care of ourself should should be or, or really is at its core. Um, and turns it into just a, one more way to advertise to us, which really got to me. I've never thought of that before. Um, so I wonder, do you have a definition of self-care that you've been using or um, a way that you've been framing it that you like? My favorite framing of self-care is from Audre Lord, who wrote in, mm-hmm. I think it was 1989, self-care is not self-indulgence it is an act of self-preservation and that is an act of political warfare or something to that degree uh yeah and so thinking about self-care as self-preservation in order to do the work of justice in the world 
is something that resonates with me. And this was something that came up mm-hmm. with the divinity school students. And one of the things I wanted to be really clear about was as a white woman, straight white woman living in 2017, I don't want to be co-opting the words of a black lesbian uh, activist in the 1980s because her framework is very different from the mm-hmm. one in which I live. Uh, right. Her life was threatened and in, in danger in different ways than mine. However, what I gain from it is anything that I do to care and sustain myself ought to be in the effort of creating a more just and compassionate world. And so from that, I get a lot of inspiration. How does that sound to you? Is there, has self-care been framed in a better way than, than the ways that we were originally talking about it in terms of the consumerist model? Um, what do you think about Audre Lorde's definition? You know, I think, um, I guess two things. I really agree with um, your caveat that it's not um, necessarily a definition that we ought to co-opt as white women in the 21st century, you know, um, but that it can offer some insight into how to, how to contribute to a more just world. And it's that adage of, um, the, the airplane, if you, you can't help others until you put your own oxygen mask on first. Right. Um, so there's, there's that. Um, and that is sort of what I think of self care, um, is when, so for me, self-care looks a lot like setting clear boundaries with, within relationships in my life to make sure that I have the time and the space for myself and I'm not giving it all away um, so that I can be more whole and present in those relationships with people. And that was something that took me a long time to learn because I grew up in a family where, um, you know, watching my my mom and other women in my family just say yes to everything, every volunteer opportunity, every um, responsibility offered at church, or they would spearhead all the the family get-togethers, and um, the, the men would just show up, and um, the women wouldn't be able to enjoy any of it because they busted their butts putting it together, and... Um, can't I can't just relax and enjoy the results of their labor and so some of that to me was having to unlearn a little of that learning learning about self-care for me was unlearning some unhealthy um, habits I guess as far as relationships go Um, and then but I have to be careful not to turn self-care into just another thing to feel guilty about like um thinking of self-care as a way to get me to better serve others can also sort of take the importance off of me and, and it then puts it um, in the context of serving other people. Um, And really sometimes it's, it's good to just remember that I am a, I am a human being with needs physical and spiritual and emotional needs as well and taking care of those is just as important as taking care of of others so yeah I guess um self-care is really complicated (laughs) for Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah I really resonated with a lot of what you said and it reminded me of something another friend said on Facebook that she feels like self-care has been boiled down for her to a quick recharge of her batteries so she can get out and keep working at this rapid pace Mm -hmm. rather than getting actual rest and rejuvenation um, 
it's just kind of a, a stop and start sort of thing. And I really resonated with that too. Uh, and I think it goes to what you're saying, which is really valuing our own needs as much as we value the needs of others, especially those of us who are activists mm-hmm. in the world, um, who are, who care about other people. It's, we have to value our own needs as well. Mm-hmm. So when we think about self-care practices and all of the challenges with it, I'm wondering if there are some practices that have emerged for you that you have found really helpful or maybe even ones that you want to cultivate. What are your self-care practices? So mine have a lot to do with I've learned that I'm just a happier person in general when I take time to do something physical um, at least a few, few times a week. Um, so for me, I enjoy yoga and that's one of the things that I, um, actually spend money on a, on a, um, membership at a yoga studio, which a few years ago I would have thought that is just such a waste of money. And I've sort of come to think of that monthly fee as this is me investing in my health and investing in my, my, um, peace of mind and my sanity. So I, um, I've given myself sort of a, a budget for that and, um, and I budget that time in my schedule as well. So yoga is a big one. Um, eating healthy food, uh, and trying to just make sure to cook and things like that. Um, cause I really feel bad when I, um, don't pay attention to, to what I'm eating. Um, and then I guess last is reading real books um, and trying to cut back on social media and real read actual real paper books. Real paper books, like not on <laughs> yeah. the Kindle, not on the phone, but yep. pages that you can turn. There's something so satisfying about, especially library books. Those are my favorite. The smell, I don't know, the smell and the just the holding it in your hand. Um, I really like that a lot. Uh, so what about you? What are some of your self-care practices? A lot of mine mirror the ones that you've already stated being active. I joined a gym about a year ago. I mean, I've been a gym goer most of my life, but after I had my daughter, it was, it was just really hard to go. Mm. Um, but have recently, I mean, within the last year, picked that back up and I, I do a group fitness class almost every day, including yoga at least twice a week, because I think that that does speak to the whole, my whole person and not just my body. Uh, the eating healthy food. Absolutely. I kind of think about when I was in my twenties and the kinds of food that I would eat. And oh, I don't know gosh. if it didn't affect me in the same way or if I was just <laughs> not in tune, but, uh, ooh, my probably goodness. a little of both, <laughs> maybe a little bit of both, but yeah, yeah, eating, eating just healthy food, a lot of vegetables, low sugar for me. Um, yeah, I'm really affected by sugar. It makes me so cranky. It's so delicious, but it me makes too. me so cranky and caffeine. I have, I have had to come to grips with, I can do one cup of coffee in the morning or one caffeinated thing in the morning. And after that, I, I can't sleep. I, it's just, it's going to affect my sleep. So yeah. Yeah. I know that you have sleep issues too. So that's important. (laughs) A couple of other things for me. I recently reached out to a spiritual director and we have, we've only done one session together, but, um, I've identified some patterns in my life that are connected to deep parts of who I am that I want to work on. And, uh, she, she asked me about my self-care practices and encouraged me to start meditating, which I've tried off and on throughout my life and have not had a lot of success, but I'm giving it another go. And uh, first thing in the morning, I get up an hour plus before anyone else in my household does. And I sit and I do a guided meditation 
Um, right now I'm really into Tara Brock, who is a psychologist and a Buddhist teacher. And she has a free podcast that you can download with meditations. And hmm. so I've been spending about 20 minutes in meditation uh, in the morning and then uh, and then doing some journaling after that, trying to listen for my inner voice. Because I think when we mm-hmm. get really tired, really overwhelmed with work, with family, with obligations, we disconnect from ourselves. And mm-hmm. it's hard to hear what our inner voice is saying. And so for me, it's all about self-care is about getting back to that inner voice. You know, what is my intuition actually saying about my life and what I need to be doing? And some interesting things have emerged uh, out of that space. One of them has been, and it resonates with what you were saying er a little bit earlier, that I freely give of myself to other people with reckless abandon Mm -hmm. to my detriment. But when it's time to give back to myself, I am so stingy so stingy with myself, with time, with resources, with attention. And mm. I'm feeling like that is needing to shift. And so I'm, I'm working on it and I've got some help. So those are some of the self-care things that I'm working on right now. You know what you just said about um, giving freely and with abandon to others, but when it comes to yourself um, being stingy, that is, I think brings us right into talking about um, where, where our faith supports the need to care for ourselves. And um, I think thinking about loving our neighbor as ourselves, we're very quick to love our neighbors. Um, Like we know that part, what that means. We're supposed to love other people as we love ourselves. Um, but it's like when we come to exploring the, the love ourselves part, we, it's like that part of the equation just drops off. And I think there's a real, if we're, if we don't love ourselves, if we don't treat ourselves well, if we don't care for ourselves, then we almost can't love others because if we're loving others the way we're loving ourselves, when we do that, then we're not loving others very well either. And I just think that's a really interesting way to think about it. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if you have thoughts on that too. I have so many thoughts. I, I think <laughs> I think part of the, the issue with that and the way it's talked about is there's an assumption that we already know how to love ourselves. And so churches and pastors don't focus on that because there's an assumption that we're going to put ourselves first. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of gender stuff with that um, and how women are are taught to be in our culture, uh, to be self-giving, self-sacrificing, uh, and so women actually have to learn how not to be that all the time, how not to be conflating mm-hmm. themselves with others and see themselves as, as their own people with their own needs and desires. Uh, so I think that there's a real gender dynamic um, to this, absolutely, and that we should be focusing on both parts of that, of what does it look like to love ourselves first um, so that we can love our neighbors in the same way. Mm-hmm. I really struggle with um, feeling selfish uh, for for putting myself first in any situation, um, and and especially and maybe um, I'd like to know how how this might be different for you since you've got a, a kiddo and I don't, but um, but we are both married, and um, in my marriage. I struggle between wanting um, to take, sometimes struggle between 
knowing I need to do something for myself and then feeling selfish for wanting to take that time because it's time that um, I could be doing something around the house or it's time that I could be spending with my husband. Um, And I have to remind myself that it's not selfish to want to be the best person that I can be in my marriage and do the thing that I know is going to is going to help me be that best person. Um, But it took me a long time to get there because I think you're right. There's this sort of um, pressure on women, I guess, to just to not even think about ourselves. And a lot of that comes from the way we talk about women in the church um, that we're supposed to put ourselves last. And um, so I wonder if, if that's something you've experienced and if it's different for you being a mom. I resonated with a lot of what you said, like most of the time. And I think what my struggle has been is that I can usually physically show up for everything in my life. I can physically show up and I can power Mm -hmm. through and I can do the parenting stuff or I can clean the house or I can do the work or do the volunteer thing. I can physically do it, but it's the quality of the work and the way that I feel about it that's different. And I haven't necessarily been bringing my full healthy self to the obligations in my life because I have felt guilty about taking the time and the space to take care of myself. And actually my husband and I were talking about this yesterday because I had, I don't have a traditional work environment where I show up at nine to work till five. I own a small business. Uh, There's really nobody holding me accountable but myself. And so I have this gift of flexibility. Now there's downsides too. Yeah. But the gift of Mm -hmm. flexibility and, um, I don't often give myself the permission to take that flexibility when I have it and use it to my advantage. And so it's more of an internal struggle that I have than anyone else's external expectations. And so I'm trying really hard when that inner voice, that inner critic comes up and says, you really should be working on something right now to say, what I really need is an hour to read a book or go take yoga so that I can come and show up in a full way when it's time for me to work Mm -hmm. or it's time for me to parent. And so I think I really struggle with that. It actually sounds like you've, you've surpassed me in that, but it's something that I'm cognizant of and I'm working on. And I'm in conversation with my husband about, because he's the one that I feel like most accountable to, um, in terms of how I spend my time. And he said, whatever you, whatever you need to be centered and, and at peace is worth it to me because I enjoy being around you more when you're like that. and <laughs> Right, right, exactly. Our moods affect other people. You know, our way of being yeah. affects everyone. Um, yeah. You know, I should, I should definitely clarify that my husband doesn't make me feel guilty. He doesn't contribute to my feelings of guilt or selfishness when I take time for myself. He's all over it. Um, and when I – and I'm the same way with him. Like, we're both very supportive of – each other when he needs to go for a run, I'm usually pushing him out the door because I know he needs it. <laughs> and like you said, we're just a lot better to be around when we are taking care of ourselves. Um, but it reminds me of a couple years ago. Um, I, <laughs> in the span of about eight months' time, I started a nonprofit and got engaged and planned a wedding. And I didn't realize how much, how, what what kind of a toll that took on me. I was in the process because I was starting this nonprofit I said yes to everything the way you do when you start a business you just say yes to because you're afraid that saying no is going to shut doors 
And so I just, I was on every committee I was asked to be on. I helped put on every project. I would, and, I, and then I was doing all this behind-the-scenes nonprofit work, and then my husband and I were planning this wedding. And um, he was working really long days. A, a lot of the wedding planning fell to me. And um, we took a trip about a month after we got married, um, and it wasn't really our honeymoon because we hadn't had time to plan a honeymoon, and we hadn't blocked off the space to give ourselves a honeymoon. So um, we happened to have about a week off around Christmas time, and we decided to just go on a road trip. And we went out west, and we went um, to visit some friends and saw we did this like whirlwind drove to Grand Canyon and Arches National Park and did all, went to Antelope Canyon, did all these cool things. And I don't remember any of mm. it. I was so exhausted and mentally just wiped that that trip, I, all I remember of it is through the pictures we took. Like I, I just, it didn't, I wasn't present for it. And it was so, and I, I feel really sad that that, it took me looking back at that trip and realizing that it just, I, I was just in a fog through it, um, to realize like, I can't let myself get to that point again. <laughs> so we've been pretty intentional now. I guess another self-care strategy we have is, um, at the beginning of the year, we sit down and really like look at the whole calendar for the year and go ahead and block off where we want to take time off. And then we religiously like hold those spaces open so that we don't let all of our um, schedules like encroach on that time. And so we've got a trip coming up in a couple of weeks that I'm really thrilled about. We're actually going back to a lot of the same places There you go. because that whole, yeah, that whole time we were out there, we were like, Oh man, I can't believe we tried to do this in just a week. Um, there's just way too much to see. So we're going to go back and give ourselves a little more time to actually spend. And I'm thinking like, Hey, I get to go do this trip again. And actually I'll remember it this time. So I don't know, but yeah, there, there, it, it is real. Like getting to that point of just burning out to where you're not even like fully alive anymore. It's so real. Those moments, as painful as they are, are real gifts to us in yeah. terms of learning what it is we really want and what we want for the future. And I'm so glad that you're getting an opportunity to revisit and maybe redeem that trip and how great to have that lesson so early in your marriage. Yeah, you know, that's a really good way of looking at it. Um, I think this kind of leads us into uh, talking about what we're reading because I'm really excited to hear what you're reading because it has a lot to do with this. Um, so maybe you want to start off? It does. A lot of this conversation reminded me of this book that I recently read by Tiffany Dufu, who is a women and girls advocate. She worked for the White House Project. She's a mover and a shaker. Absolutely. And she published a book recently called Drop the Ball. And it's taking on the idea of of having it all, especially for women and um, her personal journey of navigating how to raise a family, be married, have a demanding job all at the same time and have young children at the same time. And it's really about her own way of navigating that through trial and error and a lot of frustration and resentment uh, toward her husband. Um, and so I guess when I picked it up, I was thinking, oh, this will be a nice roadmap for me. But it's really more of her personal journey of how she figured this out for herself. Hmm. But I think it raises a lot of issues um, around gender and the assumptions that many of us 
make about who does what kind of work. And a lot of the examples that she lifted up were things that resonated with me. Um, I, I felt actually a lot better about my marriage after reading it because I felt like in a lot of ways, <laughs> uh, Matt and I already have a fairly equitable distribution of labor. But it but it did make me think about my decisions around starting my own business when I had a young child because our culture really makes it challenging to have two parents working in a traditional job setting without any family or community around you. It's really Mm -hmm. hard to navigate that. And so it made me think about that decision in a different way and thinking, well, was I doing that as a way to kind of take a step back in my career so that I could be flexible and available um, because my husband doesn't have the same flexibility. I I think for any couple, whether or not you have kids or really any woman at all uh, who is thinking about how you're going to balance different aspects of your life, it's a really, really eye-opening book uh, that I would highly recommend. And I know that you've talked about reading it. I think especially before you have kids, I think it would be really helpful to talk through what is that going to look like and how are we going to do this? And what are the things that I'm willing to let go of? And if they don't get done the way that I want them to, it's not the end of the world. Yep. Yeah, I'm really excited for this book. I haven't read it yet. And I remember asking you if it's one that I should read um, now or wait or if I should get um, a Kindle version or one I could take notes in. So I'm excited. I feel like it's one I'm going to want to bookmark and make my husband read. Yeah. And I'll just say I'm in a very progressive faith community and I raised some of these issues in our parents group. And it was really interesting to see the couples in there Oh, and how this touched on a lot of sensitive spots for them. And um, so I would just say, you know, it's if you're willing and ready to take on those conversations in your relationship or want to be prepared for them, if and when you're in a relationship, it's a really good book to read. I love it. Um, well, I've been reading something that's uh, very different. I've, I've been trying to read more um, literary fiction. Uh, I tend to gravitate towards self-help style stuff or, um, books for work. And so, uh, I've, I've been challenging myself this year to, to read more, um, either poetry, literary fiction, stuff like that, um, to really just get my creative hat back on. So, um, I've been loving a book called Brown Girl Dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson. And, um, it's a, it's a young adult, um, book and I'm, I'm not really sure the right term for it it's a it's poetry but it's written in a narrative form like it's a, it tells a story from beginning to end but each um each poem can be taken out and and uh, isolated um and looked at kind of in its entirety it's really a beautiful um piece of work and it's the first thing I've read by her um and it's a it's basically chronicles her childhood growing up in between the deep south and New York City um and just the differences between um, her grandparents' little house on a farm in uh, South Carolina and um, when she lived with her mom in the city. And just um, she's got some really gorgeous passages about um, the sounds and smells of summertime in South Carolina that are just beautiful and um, like beautiful enough to, to type out and frame and, and hang in a child's bedroom. Just really, just really gorgeous. Um, 
but then she also looks at um, kind of the civil rights era through that through the lens of her childhood as well. Um, so it was just one that I really loved and wanted to share. Um, and I would like to look for some of her other works as well. Uh, so that brings us to our um, kind of final segment, Kindreds of the Moment. Do you have a kindred in mind this week? I do. I want to lift up my friend and former seminary professor, Shannon Crago Snell. She is at Louisville Presbyterian Seminary. Uh, she's been there for a number of years, and she's been really active. She was very active in Ferguson um, when the when clergy were gathering there. But ever since either the election, presidential election, or the inauguration, I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look. She's been writing a public prayer of resistance every day on Facebook, uh, and there are publics. So you can see them. But She's just taken on all kinds of different topics in the news, and I I feel like she's been really creative, but also very intentional and sacred about her writing, and uh, she started collecting them on her website, so you can either read them on Facebook or um, on her website, and her name is Shannon Crago Snow. So I just want to lift her up, because I think resistance is taking all kinds of forms, and public prayers are a form that are not comfortable for me. But I really appreciate mm-hmm. what she's done and the kind of community that she's formed around those prayers. So, Shannon, you're our you're our kindred of the moment. Thank you for all that you do uh, in your ministry. Yay, Shannon. Yay. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Next time, we'll be talking about the decision to have a kid or not. And we'll talk to you then. Mm. Talk to you then. Talk to you then.